What's up, Jets fans, and welcome back to another edition of Jet Nation Live. We are your hosts, Dylan Terman and Chris Schubert, filling in for Glenn Naughton tonight. Um, had a had a bit of a opening in my schedule, so to speak, so I'm back for one week, trying to ease my way back into the pod. I know I've been away for a couple weeks, but I've been following you and uh, Glenn a lot. Chris, how you been? Doing great, man. Doing great. Uh, the bye week was nice. The bye week was fun. Um, but now it's back to business for this football team. It's back to getting some victories, getting closer and closer to the magic number of, I think, nine or ten. It's going to get this team into the playoffs. And it starts with this matchup this weekend against the Giants. So lots to get into both with the Jets and, and in the football world. So looking forward to, uh, to to catching up and talking about the Jets tonight. Yeah, absolutely. A crazy time coming out of the bye week. Obviously, the big win against Philadelphia. I was in attendance. Uh, my wife and I currently still undefeated in MetLife. Every time we go together, we win. So we we had tickets thanks to uh, the crew at Jet Nation. So we were able to go tailgate and have fun. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable atmosphere. We were in a, a big crowd full of uh, Eagles fans, too. So they were doing their, their song every time they were scoring that Jalen Hurts phantom touchdown in our end zone that we still haven't seen a clear angle of. But uh, that, that's two weeks behind us now. I know we had the bye week. We thought the Jets were going to recover. Um, they did for the most part. Obviously, they're still a little banged up, but they do have some people coming back from the injury report. We just want to break that down first and foremost. Two guys added to the do not uh, participate list this week. Randall Cobb with a shoulder starting right guard Joe Tittman. We kind of got some clarity. It's a quad injury. Um, Robert Sala called him a quick healer on Monday, and I saw all the comments saying, you know, start planning his funeral, et cetera, whatever, because it's really hard to trust uh, Sala what he says with injuries. He didn't practice today. Makai Becton limited with the knee. That's still the normal knee rehab. Michael Carter limited with a hamstring. That's the cornerback. Irv Charles, uh, wide receiver, special teams. Wolf limited with a shoulder. And then Clemens, Eccles, full participation. Uh, DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner were full participation. I saw the beat was a little confused today. They were full participants uh, today. And Jermaine Johnson with a foot, but he was full. So they're kind of banged up, kind of getting on the mend, which is why the bye week is here. I know a lot of teams don't necessarily like the early bye, but I think the Jets kind of benefited from that. So do you anticipate, first and foremost, DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner being back up for this game? Yeah, I mean, certainly it feels as though they've cleared some of the major hurdles in order to put themselves on a trajectory to be able to play on Sunday. It would be one thing if we were sitting here on a Wednesday and they hadn't participated in practice yet. That would put put their chances of playing on Sunday Um out of the realm of possibility, but being full participants, they're obviously going to be under close watch. They're going to be monitored again. And I think if they're full participants again tomorrow, you can probably pencil those two guys in uh, to, to play on Sunday. And, and look, this team played very well without those two guys, but they are the heartbeat of this defense. And so getting those two guys back uh, against this Giants team that's probably going to play Terod Taylor at quarterback this Sunday uh, is going to be a nice boost for for this defense. And, and they had that emotional big-time win against Philadelphia where they had everybody out and they were able to, to band together and, and play lights out defensively. But getting DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner back, I think, is only going to help I- increase the motivation for this team come Sunday. Yeah, shout-out to Hayes, Craig James, Bryce Hall, and – Michael Carter the second. I mean, the only four active cornerbacks and half of them weren't even on the team the week prior. So it's just crazy to see what the Jets were able to do. And that's that's a big a big emphasis on coaching. Um, it's kind of funny, um, kind of going off on a tangent real quick about Jeff Ulbrick, but we've come so far with this guy as our defensive coordinator <laughs> in two and a half seasons. Um, we were ready to fire this guy when we were one in three in his first year. 
and the defense was playing a bunch of guys that were like 22, 23 years old. And then now it's like, oh no, we might lose him as a head coach this uh, upcoming off season. So I think his props are well-deserved. His flowers are well-deserved. I'm glad that everybody on defense is thriving at this point, backups and whatnot. Bryce Hall, I mean, I, we, I was dead wrong. I'll be honest. I mean, obviously he had question marks coming into the season, but he has turned it around more than almost anybody on this team, more so than even a Zach Wilson, who we have to talk about and pseudo defend the day that ends, on the, the podcast. The day that ends in why we got to talk about Zach Wilson. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Bryce Hall, just big, big props to him. But yeah, the corners getting back healthy will be huge. I know it's not necessarily the matchup where you need all your corners healthy, but you obviously like to be at full strength no matter what the opponent is. And you mentioned it, Tyrod Taylor's in for the Giants most likely. And I think the Giants are a more a better oiled machine with Tyrod than they are Daniel Jones at this current moment. I don't know your take on, on the Giants as a whole right now, but I watched the game against the Commanders, and I don't want to see that defensive line go up against our offensive line with the way Zach holds onto the ball. So so what are your thoughts on, on the matchup? Yeah, look, I don't disagree with with that being the major concern that you have. And obviously, Joe Tippmann being out, they're going to have to rework some things uh, along the interior. But I would be remiss if I didn't think that we would have had the same conversation. And we did have the same conversation going into the matchup against Philadelphia. And I think Philadelphia's defensive line and their front seven is better than the Giants. Now, it doesn't work that way always that, okay, Philadelphia was better. So that means you're going to be able to handle New York. But it certainly gives you more confidence that this team is going to be able to handle New York's uh, defensive front because they were able to buy enough time for Zach to be able to make enough plays in order to um, to give the Jets a chance to win. And look, I saw a statistic today. Uh, Zach Wilson is in the top 10 of quarterbacks in lowest turnover worthy throw percentage at like 2.7%. He's tied for 10th. Think about that comment and where we would have been probably a year ago if we looked at that stat. He would not be in the good part of the chart. He would be at the bottom part of the chart where his turnover worthy percentage would be really high. So he has eliminated that part of his game. He's not throwing a lot of, you know, huge plays down the field. So he doesn't have a lot of, you know, big play percentage as well. He's just being a very boring, methodical quarterback. We said this after the Philadelphia game, talked about it with Glenn. He's boring. He That's just what he is right now. He's a boring quarterback. Right now, for the current iteration of the New York Jets here, going into week eight, that's what they need. Because the season matures and they play teams like the Chargers, like the Browns, the Dolphins twice, the Bills again, conference and divisional rivals where they're going to need to win those football games. I think that's where you're going to start to see Zach needing to do a little bit more. But right now, what is on Zach Wilson's plate is, hey, man, be boring. Just go out there, play boring football, and give us a chance. And he has done that in every in every single aspect of the last couple of games, and it has given the Jets a chance to win each of the last couple of weeks, going back to Kansas City, specifically in Denver, and then against Philadelphia. So you credit where credit is due. But when I look at this matchup, I, I don't know, Dylan. I, I think this is, you know, it, it's tough because Zach Wilson being the quarterback, I shouldn't feel this way. I don't think this game is going to be particularly close on Sunday. I, I really don't. The Giants don't do anything that scares me. Saquon Barkley, I mean, this Jets front seven, okay, Saquon, you can go ahead and beat us. Terod Taylor, it doesn't have a lot of a lot of weapons. We're going to be able to get after the quarterback. Terod Taylor is a backup for a reason in this league. Um, I don't think he provides what Daniel Jones provides in terms of running the football. So when I look at this, I think the Jets are going to be able to hone in, and the Jets linebacking core, which is going to be specifically tasked with handling Saquon Barkley, has been exceptional this season. Much to the chagrin of you and I, who in the summertime had lengthy conversations about what this linebacker core was going to be, they've been excellent. They've been the stalwarts of this defense. So if they can handle Saquon Barkley, 
what else do the Giants have that they're going to be able to throw at you that's going to make you think that they're going to put up 20 points on the New York Jets? I think this is going to be a low-scoring affair. I don't think the Jets are going to go up and down the field on the New York Giants, but I think this Jets team, you know, wins a close game. I'll give a score prediction a little bit later on, but I don't think this is going, you know, I just think the Jets are going to be able to go in there, take care of business, exactly what we've seen against uh, Philadelphia and and Denver the last couple of weeks where it's close, but the Jets do enough in the end to, to, to pull away, and, and that's what I think happens. Yeah, we have a comment in here from uh, J.E. that says, only way we lose is if Zach turns the ball over. And, and you mentioned it. He's playing boring, which is one step above playing scared. And right now, that's fine for what the Jets need. I mean, I'm good with eventually, boring. okay. Yeah, eventually, there's going to be games where he's going to have to let it rip. And I think, you know, Kansas City, they kind of disguised it a little bit. But he was doing, you know, bigger plays. And you mentioned the, the turnover-worthy plays. And I want to shout out Matt O'Leary, uh, another uh, great Jets content guy. He did a video about... Um, Zach Wilson's numbers under pressure specifically and how night and day it is. He was dead last, like 40th in each category of turnover worthy plays and like pressure uh, rate. And now he's top five in both. So it's just crazy to see how far we've come with him. Obviously it's not like, you know, we, he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Jalen Hurts. He's not any of these guys, but for what the Jets need, boring is fine. We'll take it. As long as you're not playing scared anymore, I'm cool with it. And personally, his mechanics have looked a lot better. He gets to the back of his drop. The route is on time. He throws it on time. Everything just looks a little bit cleaner when it actually comes together. It's not consistent, but when you get down in the red zone, it gets a little hairy. But I think for the most part, Zach Wilson has looked good. Um, You had something to say? No, I, I just think you, you, the bye week comes at a perfect time for this team because they were scrambling as a as a coaching staff, as a locker room. They were scrambling. I mean, their entire world flashed before their eyes in four plays, and they had to completely rewrite and retool this offense on the fly. And mm-hmm. from week to week to week, it was good team after good team after good team that they were facing. This gauntlet of a schedule that we talked about that was going to be an uphill battle with Aaron Rodgers as their starting quarterback. And now you throw into the mix, hey, you know that offense that you worked all summer and installed and learned the language and, and Aaron Rodgers was running? Yeah, you're going to have to completely rewrite that. And oh, by the way, you're going to have to play the Dallas Cowboys and Micah Parsons. And oh, oh by the way, you're going to have to play the Philadelphia Eagles. And oh, by the way, you're going to have to play Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And so to, to game plan for all of those opponents on a weekly basis, and also completely rework and retool and revamp this offense on the fly. You know, it, it Nathaniel Hackett, Todd Downing, the, the the offensive staff that puts this stuff together. This week is the bye week was just a week to breathe, and now they could they could sit back and they could say, okay, what worked, what didn't work, what can we add to Zach's plate, what should we take away from Zach's plate, and those are the four things that they probably spent the last two weeks looking at, and. I said this, I think it was last week's show, and this might be a bold prediction on my my part, and I'll come on the show and say I'm wrong. I, I do it all the time when I, I talk about, you know, Zonovan Knight making the team and all the, the takes that I had in the summer. I, I own up to my bad takes when they're on the show. I think this is going to be a different offense this week. I think this is going to be a different offense in the second half. I think the bye week allows them to hit a huge reset button and install some things and work on some things that they just couldn't do when it is a short, condensed Four or five days, got to get ready for the next opponent, got to study tape. You, you just, yeah, it's just quick, got to go on to the next thing. I think this t- this opportunity to step back comes at a perfect time to kind of hit this reset button. And I fully expect they're going to institute some more play action. I think you're going to see some early down throws to keep some teams off balance. I think they're going to let Zach start to throw the ball down the field a little bit more, a la what worked in the Kansas City game. And I think mm-hmm. you're going to start to see slowly over the course of the next couple of weeks 
that they start to implement some more stuff because this next stretch, guys, is is so important. You got the Giants this week. This has got to be a win. If New York Jets are going to be a playoff team in 2023 and they're going to shock the world and they are going to, you know, beat every expectation after Aaron Rodgers goes down in four plays with Zach Wilson coming in and playing extremely well, they got to win games like they, that they do against the Giants. They also got to bury teams like the Los Angeles Chargers, who they're going to probably be directly competing with if the Chargers get hot for a playoff spot. So you got to have those types of wins. And then primetime games against the Raiders, you got to be able to take care of business there as well. So this stretch is really, really huge. Listen, I, I don't want to do this where you look too far ahead, but, I, but I've kind of thought this out a little bit. After week 13, after they play Atlanta, if this team is 7-5, and five, they are going to make the playoffs. That's the goal. If they are 7-5, and five, and listen, they might lose the next two, and then it'll be a roller coaster ride. But if after week 13, this team is sitting at 7-5 and five with teams like the Commanders who can't seem to get out of their own way on a week-to-week basis, a Cleveland team, I know everybody is scared of that defense. I just watched Gardner Minshew drop 38 on that team, and I'm not afraid of who they have playing quarterback. I don't care if Deshaun Watson plays or he doesn't play. I'm not scared mm-hmm. of that team on Thursday night. I'm just not. New England at the end of the season, potentially get some revenge in a big way. If you're seven and five after week 13, I think you need two. I think you can beat the commanders. I think you can beat the Patriots. You potentially beat the Browns. That's 10. Again, seven and five after week 13. I think this starts to get really real for this football team to do something uh, that I don't think anybody thought after four plays into the season. And another thing I don't think anybody thought going into the season, four plays into the season or whatever, is that the AFC would only need nine maybe ten well, wins to stinks. make the playoffs this well, conference stinks isn't that funny right this is, everybody the Bengals stink be... chargers stink i mean it's... the jags aren't super great like we all thought the steelers somehow were just kind of there just hanging around the yeah. bills not that great nope there's like a lot three going on legitimate right teams in the afc right now the jets aren't unfortunately one of them but they're on that that they're on that tier but everybody's kind of in that middle tier it's right now chiefs ravens dolphins and then everybody else is sitting together at a table and it's like okay yeah. who wants to join who wants to create a new table cuz somebody's going to have an opportunity to do so here over the next couple of weeks yeah exactly and uh to get back to what you were talking about earlier just as far as like their tendencies aaron rodgers talked about it on the pat mcafee show yesterday and it's something i've been tracking i wrote about it uh 3 weeks ago for the for JetNation.com, I, I did, haven't updated it, but I was going to do it at the three-week uh, deadline. Um, their run out of shotgun rate is putrid. Against, um, let's see, I'm going back in my notes. Against Buffalo, they ran four times out of shotgun out of a total of 26 plays. In week two against uh, Dallas, they ran twice on a total of 34 plays. And they ran... 10 times out of a total of 46 plays against New England. So their highest shotgun run rate was like just over 20%. And that's stupid. If you're in shotgun and everybody knows you're going to pass the ball, it, what, what are we doing here? Like, it doesn't matter what your play is. Like, they know you're, they can just pin their ears back and go. So that's one thing I want to see them do is they've given enough looks at a shotgun with a one running back, two running back, a running back and a fullback they've even done once or twice before, but they need to start running out of shotgun. And I'm not saying the Giants team is good. I haven't looked at their run defense numbers. Like, I don't know if this is a good team to start doing it against, but you need to start doing things that you had an image for. Like Rogers was saying yesterday, you got to have an image for what you've been doing and then have a variation off of that. And I think the Jets, like you said, the bye week was a good time to just relax, implement what Zach was doing well, make a variation off of that and start running more under shotgun and uh, under center. I mean, they've kind of gotten a little bit more 50, 50 balance. It's harder to tell, but it's almost always a play action or run. So it's those little things that are really killing me with this team that 
hopefully you start seeing the variations come off of that. But that's like my main takeaway with this offense is you got to start being a little bit more disguised in your looks and going. I know they're doing the personnel thing with the tight ends and trying to make it look like they're going to spread them out. And then they don't really, they kind of run the ball and play a little bit more physical, but I just, I want to see more run from shotgun. And I think the red zone will become easier because Dalvin cook, I know everybody hates Dalvin cook, but they're not using them right at all. Their duo runs aren't it for him. You got to get them on the outside one cut and go. I feel like out of shotgun, you can run inside outside zone a little bit better hopefully to the left side behind Makai Becton, who's making these linebackers look like look like little boys out here. And, and you know, they can actually make it work. They can salvage this uh, this contract that they've given Dalvin Cook and clearly haven't used him up to his potential. So that was my biggest takeaway. I don't know if you've had any, you know, notice of those things, but it seems like every time shotgun, it's always a pass. And you're giving the defense a free shot. Yeah, and I, I wondered, I, you know, and this is just anecdotal here, and I, I just don't know. I'd have to go back and watch the, the games and see if it, if it correlates. You, you shared some of the numbers, but I wonder how much of that is the limitation that they put on, put on themselves with the way that they handled Brees Hall in the early part of the season, right? And and mm-hmm. slowly bringing him along and slowly kind of like utilizing him. And now they say that the governor is off the golf cart and they're just going to let Brees Hall run all over the place. And I wonder if now because of that, some of the things that they were keeping over here that they they were like, oh, we could really use this, but we don't want to risk it with Brees. We want to make sure he's okay. Now that they say all bets are off, this is all systems go, let's go, they start sprinkling that stuff in here over the next couple of weeks. Again, it, it, I, I, th- this week is going to teach us a lot about this New York Jets coaching staff. I called the win against Philadelphia the signature moment for Robert Sala in his coaching tenure in New York. I stand by that. I think up until that point, it was the signature moment for him because he made an adjustment to the way that they handled Jalen Hurts, did something that not a lot of other people have been able to do, and that shows to his coaching, his schematics, his leadership to get this team without DJ Reed, without Sauce Gardner to, to be ready to play. Again, checked all the boxes of what you want as, as, a, as a marquee, stable victory for a head coach. But that can be completely undone in a matter of minutes if they come out on Sunday and they are completely unprepared and they do not show that they've learned over the last two weeks and they've gotten better. And that's not to say we oscillate from week to week, but just because you had that marquee victory doesn't mean that you have cemented yourself as the long-term coach here for the New York Jets. There's a lot that still needs to be seen. Now, if they come out and it's all systems go and we see the defense start fast, that's one of the biggest critiques that we've had of this team. If the defense starts fast, the offense shows some growth, shows some development, some red zone stuff starts ending in touchdowns instead of field goals. Okay, you've now shown me as a coach your ability to take the bye week and use it as a huge advantage to your team to springboard yourself into a big second half. So that's my big thing. And again, I don't think the game's particularly close on Sunday. I think they beat this Giants team by, by, by two scores. But that being said, I could very easily see that if this team doesn't come out and they're unprepared and Zach struggles, how it's a close game going into the fourth quarter and the, and the, and the Jets lose a close one because Brian Dable has shown an ability to win those close ones over you know the, the the one year good season that he had last year with the Giants being able to take them to the playoffs. So that's my big takeaway uh, for you know this game and, and looking ahead is how did they utilize the bye week? I know how they should have utilized the bye week, and I've talked about how I would have conducted myself. Let's see if they actually implemented some changes to be able to springboard themselves into an important second half. Yeah. And in his uh, press conference, I believe on Monday, he did say this is the third time that they're changing it up coming out of the bye week. So they're constantly adjusting, constantly changing. They said it's nothing major, but it's just smaller things that will keep the guys fresh and healthy, he said. So it's really important that we do see the change because the bad stat that's been going around is like one in nine or one in 11 
coming out of the bye the last 10 or 11 years. So really yeah. ugly coming out of the bye. Just, just can't exactly. happen. You, you need to be prepared. You, the, the two games that you should be most prepared for, and I sound like a broken record. I said this on last week's show. First yes, game of the did. season and coming out of the bye. Yep. You don't you don't get to to play those two games and come up to the podium and say we weren't prepared. You don't get I'm sorry that that excuse does not I do not accept. I accept short week going from playing on Sunday to playing on Thursday night and you don't mm-hmm. play well. You want to go up there and say listen, we just weren't prepared. Okay, I can buy that. Short week, installing stuff, maybe you're on the road, you're traveling, you're playing a tough opponent. I can I can buy that you didn't have the guys prepared because you condense everything into into a short week. You've had two weeks to prepare for the New York Giants. The New York Giants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're not, they're not, they're not blowing anybody away. They won the game on Sunday against the commanders. What 14 to 7 was the final score? Like yep. they, they won a game convincingly against the Washington Commanders, and it was 14 to 7. It's the New York Giants. So you don't get to you don't get to use that as an excuse. You don't get to say that we didn't have the guys prepared. Because if not, if they are not prepared and they struggle, that is an indictment on you and the coaching staff. A hundred percent. And the last two years alone under Salo, we'll just look at his you know, him under the lens, it was 54 to 13 to new England and then 10 to three to new England. So all games that we don't remember play new England after the bye is what I'm learning. <laughs> don't give them yeah, or at exactly. all. Don't play new England at all. Apparently for, for us over the last hundred times we've played them or whatever. Week, week 18 kills me, man. But the uh, Rob saw stat that was going around the positive one was the seven wins when trailing by 10 or more points since 2001 is the most in that time or most in a, in a long time. But you don't want to find yourself down to nothing to the Giants. Like it's well, the and the other thing too is it, it's so counterintuitive to the way this team wants to play, right? Which is yes. what makes that st- stat so mind-boggling to me. This team wants to wants to play with their defense, being able to pin their ears back and just get after the with quarterback and play yeah. with a lead and run the ball and control the clock and play old school, you know, Rex Ryan Jets and Ravens defense and just just grind it out. They just want to grind out 17-14 victories every single week, right? especially right now with what they're doing with the offense yet they were down 17, nothing against the chiefs and probably looked the best offensively that they've ever looked in Zach Wilson's era. Like mm-hmm. th- it's just so mind boggling to me that they are able to thrive in these moments because it is so counterintuitive to the way the team is designed and the way the team is built, but credit to them. They, they, they don't, they don't, um, they don't uh, get too, they don't get too hard on themselves in those moments. They they stay focused. They stay composed. They stay in the moment. They understand next man up, next series up, just make a play, give our guys a shot, and they slowly kind of chip away over the course of the game. And it's exactly how they beat the Philadelphia Eagles. They just chipped away at that team. And and I said it in the, in the, the post show that we did that following week. If two of those red zone drives ends up in touchdowns, we're talking about a New York Jet team that blew out the NFC champion, Philadelphia. Yep. That's how different the game goes. 50% red zone conversion to touchdowns. We're talking about a totally different game. So there's a lot to like. There's a lot to be excited about. And I'm also not naive. I understand Zach Wilson is the quarterback. I understand the limitations this team has. I understand that there is still an, a huge mountain to, to climb. But you can't tell me a team that made four trips to the red zone against the Philadelphia Eagles can't draw up the plays and execute to, to get in the end zone twice of those four. and we wouldn't be talking about a totally different team. We would have a totally different feel about th- that game in particular and how we would feel going into the second half of the season. I, I I said this. I sound like a broken record. They're this close. Like Robert Sala said, they're this close from being something we didn't think they could be. Now, the, this close is Zach Wilson. That's the this close. It's up to him. It's always going to mm-hmm. be up to him. It's always going to be the guy wearing number two. But they are this close to potentially being something very, very special in the AFC this year. 
Yeah, I hate that the the defense always has to be the spark plug every single game. It's like for once, can we just get out to a three nothing lead, a seven nothing lead, win the coin toss, take the ball, go down yes. the field and score. That's the strategy. I mean, that's what you want to do. You want to you want to excite your defense. You want to you want to maybe fire up your defense and insult them a little bit. You take the ball, you take the coin toss, and you look at every single one of them and said, "I'm taking, I'm taking the the coin toss, and I'm going to put our offense on the field because I'm going to give us a lead. Because if you guys are out there, we'd be down seven nothing, and I just yeah. fire them up that way. I would just and, be like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't trust you guys at the start of the game, so go prove me wrong. Boy, would that defense play fired up if that's yeah. if that's the way. If I was Jeff Ulbrich, I'd be like, your your coach doesn't believe in you to put you on the field right now. He t- he took the ball and he put the offense on the field, and I would fire my guys up. Exactly, because he always, uh, everybody always says, you know, we go as they go in, in terms of the defensive line. But yeah, I think this is the week you have to not only show confidence in Zach Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett and what their scheme is for the first 10, 15, 20 plays that are scripted, like go have the confidence to take the ball and go score, you know? So yeah, I, I totally agree. I know it goes against everything they say, but let's be real. The Jets go as Zach goes, and it's not how anybody wants to live life. So the best case scenario is just give the kid the ball, see what the defense does right away from the Giants. You know, they're going to come with a ton of blitz. Oh, he's going to see a lot of zero. He's a genius. He's got to throw he's, hot. He's going to scheme it up. If you can prove in the first drive that you can just throw hot when there's an extra blitzer coming off the edge, it's going to put a lot of confidence in this kid. So I think, yes, I completely agree. Give them the ball first. Have the confidence to stand on your script and say, hey, we're going to go and put up points on the first drive, whether it's three points. I don't care. Three points, seven points, whatever. Just give that defense a chance to go after Tyrod, Daniel Jones, whoever it is, for any quarter other than the fourth quarter because the Jets have only been able to do it in the fourth quarter. And if we could see what it looks like in the second quarter, the third quarter, I know we're getting flack for having too many turnovers now. We had not enough last year. Now we have too many. So we can literally have six turnovers if this team played with the goddamn lead for more than 10 minutes of a season. So it's truly mind-boggling how the Jets say they want to do all these things one way. It just and doesn't it just it way. doesn't happen. Yeah. You're putting you're putting a, a round peg in a square hole, and it's not fitting. And uh, I think this is the week you can't you got to turn it around. I'm not going to say it's like you like you're confident that it's going to be a multi score victory. I think two, it's going to be a game. ten point victory. Oh, 14 points. Okay, 14, 10, 24, you know, 10. Two, there you go. I'll give it to you now. 24, 10, Jets. Uh oh, yeah, 24, 10. Okay, I'm gonna go 23. 17 so a six point win 17 I feel like points we, you think the new york giants and this offense are going to score 17 points on the new york jets defense no no i think the defense is going to get one. Oh, i see there you think there's a pick yeah. six in our in our future i understand something something weird just okay, something dumb enough. is going to happen but i just think that's because of wink martindale and his influence on the defense i'm not saying zach can't handle the zero blitz and can't handle the pressure but we're we're gonna see He's gonna be I don't know. I'm, I'm fully bought into that this team, despite everything I think about them and the way that I think that like they're, they're just playing the last two games against Philadelphia and in Denver, I just think they're just going to unlock something. I, I There's no reason for me to think. I mean, there is right. there is, and there isn't reason for me to think this. I just think they're just going to unlock something here this week, and it's going to be just away we go. Within the next three weeks, the Giants, the Chargers, the Raiders, something two and one. has to be unlocked. We agree two and one in that stretch? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you don't go two and one, I have questions. Yeah, we're gonna have a total. All win- this show's gonna have a totally different feel to it if they don't go all winnable games, all ones that you're possibly gonna be favored in. I know the Chargers are coming across the country, and we, but we're going to the 
to the Raiders, but I still think you could be a favorite depending on how the next two weeks go for both teams. You could look at yourself and be a favorite or like a, a pick them in all these games. So yeah, you got to come out of here two and one at, at a minimum. And then it starts getting a little tougher. You got Buffalo and Miami back to back, I believe after that, but yeah, one game at a time. I think the giants, they're a good test, but they're not like they're a game where the jets should feel like they can get right. And that, that leads up to a trap game. And I don't want to say it's a trap game, but that's kind of where I'm at mentally with this right now, because I watched the giants demolish the commander's offensive line. And if we don't have Joe Tittman, we're on our fourth offensive line combination of the season, which is really just starting combination, not combination that saw the field. We're on like seven or eight, if that's the case. So we know we're not getting Dwayne Brown back. Um, Tittman, if he can't go, to be Schweitzer. So it kind of makes me nervous. That's the only way I'm nervous. I'm not really nervous about Tyrod. He's a good player. He's a very good player. I like him more than Daniel Jones in this offense, but I'm not scared of their offense. Saquon Barkley had one yard on 13 carries in his one career game against the Jets shout out to the the black uniform Jets and Jamal Adams that that year that was the the year that Jamal took the strip sack out of Daniel Jones hands and ran for the touchdown that that game so they weren't doing anything it's a completely different Jets team but they can do the same thing to Saquon I know they don't really have the run capabilities this season but they could bottle up Saquon and like you said if you do that and force Tyrod to have to throw the ball I'm sorry, Jalen Hyatt's not going to burn sauce. That that was a, a mirage in August that didn't really happen, and people keep talking about it. But I, I like the matchup if everybody's healthy on this defense to really shut down the, the Giants' offense. Yeah, I I, I think they're just going to play zone. They're going to say nothing beats us over the top, everything in front of us, and good luck. Good luck with that. I I, I Again, I, I don't know why I feel this confident, but I, I just – I don't, the giants just don't, they don't, they don't scare me. They don't like, again, I, I don't think the jets, you know, I, I have a 24, 10. Do I think it could be closer than that? Yeah, absolutely. I just think that this jets team is going to unlock something totally different that from what we've seen. And they are going to make as much of a statement as I think this team is capable of right now and show the world like, okay, we can do this to a team and we're going to do it to our, our, our cross building rival, not cross, not cross town, cross building rival in the New York giants. I'm not sure if you saw the tweet about John Franklin Myers, but that's why I titled the show the way it was. No rivalry, just win. It's not John a Franklin rivalry. Myers. Get out of here. I, do you think I get I, that's for exactly a rivalry to matter? The two sides have to like seriously care about one another. And Jets and Giants fans, and maybe this is just my perspective on it, they don't really care about one another. Everyone operates in their own little it's Giants land. It's Jets land. There's not a ton of interaction. That's not a shot I, at Giants fans. I'm not, I, please do not take it that way. It's just I don't think we care enough about each other the way like the Mets and Yankees care about each other, the way like no. the Knicks and the Nets care about each other, the way like the Devils and the Rangers and the Rangers and the I like, I just don't think it like there is that level to it. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm too young for it, but I just don't, I just don't see it. Yeah. John Franklin Myers basically was like, I don't, I don't give a F who's yeah. older brother, younger brother. Like we just want to win. I just like, want to win football games. Yeah. And that's exactly what it should come down to. Who gives a shit? Who is older brother, little brother? We know that they like to call it jet life. I know that the Jets should win this game, but I'm still so nervous. So 23 to 17 is where I'm keeping it. Uh, we do have a, not an off topic, but somewhat off topic comment from Joe Donald starting this week in place of Brock Purdy. Uh, yeah, he's in the concussion protocol. I, know he's in the protocol I, but... I think he's expected to start, expected but to I, if there's, if you're saying it on Wednesday, I mean, something's got to give, uh, he also comes up and says giants blitzing on every play. No, they won't do that. I don't think it'll be every play, but like I said before, if you want to keep 
only passing out of shotgun, they're going to see that stuff too. So if you're in shotgun, be prepared for five, six guys coming on a pressure. I'm not um, ignoring Dylan, by the way, folks. I'm just oh, no, no, no. If there's I, an update to the Sam Darnold situation. I, I knew you weren't. Um, I believe it said expecting to start, okay. but Purdy is in the concussion protocol. I guess some of his, you know, wires got crossed in his robot brain. This dude is unreal. I know, like, the, the hate for him is real, but I kind of, I love Brock Purdy. I like what he does, man. He's oh, so yeah. much better. He's so much better than a lot of these quarterbacks I watch that, like, all right. I, I saw a video is Kurt Benkert. We all know him, former Packers quarterback. He was breaking down Derek Carr and he was talking about his footwork and he showed a Derek Carr play and then a, a Brock Purdy play. Brock Purdy just made it look so easy. And I'm like, God damn, if Derek Carr could just put it together, like it, Dude, it's I, those little as things. The, that, as the, the resident Derek Carr stand in, in jet nation land, yeah. I, I, I do not understand what's going on there. He, he's not playing well. That team's also not coached well. Like, Dennis mm-hmm. Allen is not a good football coach. Like, I am mm-hmm. out on Dennis Allen. But Derek's also – this is the worst Derek has ever played. Like, there are people who don't think Derek Carr is good, and that's fine. We can agree to disagree there. But the, what you think in your mind about Derek Carr him being bad, this is worse than that. Like, this isn't even close to what you think Derek Carr is. Yeah. When I, when I said I didn't want Derek Carr for X, Y, and Z in the summer or in the early – It was not because you thought he was going to be this. It was not that. I'm I'm happy, obviously, that the Jets avoided that, but like, for sure, it's just tough. Like, I feel like it's stuff that when you're in your ninth year of playing quarterback, it's really hard to grow out of too. So I don't know where it came from or what he's being coached specifically to do. It just it doesn't look right. But oh, Brock Purdy makes it look right, and I think I think Sam Darnold under the tutelage of uh, Kyle Shanahan will make it look right too because I felt like he had good footwork. It was a little weird. His his kind of like throwing motion with his feet was very very wonky to me but i think he could do good for san francisco um hurts my fantasy team because i have brock purdy but hey you know it is what it is um with that we can move on to the college football portion of the show i know uh you said you got to wrap a little early so i want to let you you know give your two cents on some of the things i know everybody got mad last week in the comments i was reading them about you guys talking about draft stuff and college stuff so that only means we got to talk about it more. I mean, the Jets aren't out of the playoffs. The Jets are clearly in it. We're talking about the Jets, but we're also going to look at the college world too because it's important to us as soon as the season is over. And I know you guys, you and Glenn are like in your waiters up into in this draft stuff. And I'm Listen, just like dipping you my just toe wait, in. You wait until it till, till the season's over and we it could just be Jets draft talk the whole time. It's Folks, if you didn't like, if you don't like the show now, oh boy, oh, do, we, do I have some bad news for you. I was going to say, for those not watching on YouTube, I just smile every time we talk about the draft because I know that's what you and Glenn love to talk about. I'm not even fully in the weeds on it, but my big questions for you were, what were your takeaways about this whole Michigan thing? I know the sign stealing is a big thing, I guess, across all sports, the Astros a couple years ago, but I feel like this is something that's kind of known in the college world, and I guess maybe they're doing it in a more elaborate, planned out way that they're not, they're bending rules or breaking rules, but I feel like every team does this at every level of sports. It's just a competitive thing. So what, what were your thoughts on this whole Michigan thing? Yeah, my take's going to be extremely lame for everybody on this because, it, you know, I, I'm just a big believer in letting a situation play out. The NCAA announces that they're launching an investigation and it's into potentially a, you know, rules violation of, of you know, going to other teams' games and stealing their signs and doing all that kind of stuff. And, it, you know, there is part of me that, 
you know, wants to wait until there's a there's a full investigation and everything is taken care of. But obviously, there's part of me that in, in this job, I, I work in radio, I do this podcast, you kind of have to react to stuff as it happens. And so my position has been like, let the NCAA investigation play itself out. But if we learn information that changes the scope of the conversation, like clearly, let's talk about it. And what we are learning more and more about this staffer is there's more to it than just this investigation part um, and into like the the sign stealing and the the, the plane tickets and everything like that just just today just today we learned that this guy apparently had a 500 to 600 page google document document that he had, was working on with other people that was like this manifesto of how to fix michigan and how they were going to turn michigan around and how you know they were going to rise through the ranks and like i haven't gotten a chance to, to sift through the document i don't know if it's out yet i was reading a sports illustrated article about it but like Damn. We just learn more and more about this guy, right? Like yeah. there's just there's more and more layers to it. And there's 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 a layer today that the NCAA probe got triggered because they found something on official official Michigan computers, like at the University of Michigan in the in the building, in the athletic building, on the computers, there was stuff that red flag went up. NCAA is going to investigate. And so we just learned more and more because when it first came out, everyone's like, Oh, rogue staffer kind of doing his own thing, plausible deniability for Jim Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Well, now we've learned. He's standing there on the sidelines next to the offensive coordinator and they seem to be buddy, buddy and there's stuff happening on the university of Michigan computers about like, just, you got to let the situation play out. It's not a good look. I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that I've seen a lot of people subscribe to of, Oh, this happens all the time. Really? Mm. You think staffers are buying plane tickets and flying across the country to all of these games and sending people like this guy was sending other people was buying the tickets and sending other people to go gather this information and put it together. Listen, they're sign stealing. And I get that you, this is not what's happening. Same thing with the asterisk thing in baseball. I'll use the parallel. Everybody kind of tries to steal signs and you, and you try to get the information, but no one had an intricate system where we're banging on a trash can or we're potentially using a buzzer. Like there's, there's yeah. the, there's the acceptable level of when everybody's like, yeah, we can do this. And it's kind of a, it's kind of not really above board, but we allow it because it's within kind of the unwritten rules. And then there's the, gross overstep because you think you can get away with everything and that's where i think this is ultimately going to lead to but we'll see there's just a lot to uncover here a, a lot to, to figure out about this but yeah it's not a good look i'll tell you that yeah knowing all those uh extra details that i didn't know before definitely sounds a little more than just uh the normal espionage and it's really funny because i heard 10 minutes of the last week 60 minutes after the four o'clock game went off and they were talking about how every country does basic espionage, but this specific country was doing it more so. And I was like, okay. well, this is really tying in. So I'd like to, I'd like to read you something that I just saw. So I'm About sitting here and I just, stealing? I, yeah, but I just saw this sure. from a Washington, this is from a Washington post story. I'm going to read the full quote. So bear with me, everybody grab a, grab a, a coffee or a tea or something here. Cause as you can see, it's a, it's a couple paragraphs along here. The opponents targeted the most on this schedule. These people said were not surprising. Atop the list was Ohio State, Michigan's top rival in the Big Ten, and scouts planned to attend as many as eight games, costing more than three grand in travel and tickets. Next on the list was Georgia, a potential Michigan opponent in the college football playoff, with four or five games scheduled for in-person scouting and video recording, also costing more than three grand in travel and tickets. In total, these people said Michigan's sign-stealing operation expected to send more than 15 grand this season, sending scouts to more than 40 games played by 10 opponents. According to the university's public salary disclosure records, Stallions, listed as an administrative specialist in the athletic department, made $55,000 in 2022. So you're telling me that a guy who makes 55 grand, according to your own record, 
is on his own going rogue, laying out 15 grand. He probably loses 15 grand in taxes. So he's probably yeah. only got 40 grand. So he's he not took taking 15 home 55 of the 40 grand and use that. To, no, that and that's why this is a problem because there's going to be some level of institutional control here that's going to go beyond just a rogue, a rogue staffer. Again, that's just something that was tweeted 40 minutes ago from a story. We're learning new stuff every day. I really hope this manifesto becomes public because uh, that would be really interesting to read how he planned to do this. Because this guy kind of sounds I, like, like, I gotta like tell a you, really weird person, this, but this, it sounds like he's gone to something, maybe. This probably <laughs> says a lot about me. If somebody was able to get their hands and drop the 600-page document, I'd stay up till 3 in the morning reading the thing. Like, I, I'm there. I'm in there. I'd be highlighting it. I'd be like Cliff Notes. I, I, I'd i be that guy. I would I would like the copy of the Cliff Notes. Let me see. Let me, if, let me see when. if it's available. Let me see if it's <laughs> That's crazy. So yeah, it does sound like a little bit more than than what's uh, actually going on here. Um, I saw the video of that guy, the the sign stealer guy, like stand next to the coordinator, and then right. all the players pointing up and whatever. Uh, so everybody, everybody's this- pointing like they know what's coming. It's like okay, that's not great. That's not a great look. Yeah, that's that's a little much. So I definitely think we should all wait. But yeah, it doesn't look good. Obviously, if you're spending. All that money to—I mean, four games each opponent, like ten opponents—that's a lot. Like, it's a lot you of really money. Got, yes. You're really putting a lot of resources into this too. Like, not just financial, but just like man hours into this is just crazy. It's—it's it's not like just you just decided to do this. Like, this isn't no. this is an operation that was that was founded, that premeditated. Was yeah, yes, yeah, for sure. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. All right. As you're looking up to see if the uh, I'm trying if, to find the document. Yeah. I'm if it to... is if it is available, we'll we'll discuss that. But if uh, it's available, the show's going to end early because I'm going to have to go. Read it. <laughs> we but, are. Yeah. We do have to end early. I know that. We got three minutes. My question to you before we wrap. Sure. Caleb Williams. Oh, is... QB two. QB two. Caleb Williams. Yes. Yeah. Most people's QB one. Chris Schubert. Yes. Pat yourself on the back for for having QB two behind Drake May, but he does face a very difficult decision, in my opinion. After I think this is his third loss to Utah. Um, and now that they have two losses on the season, obviously the playoffs are out of the realm of possibility. He could play for the Heisman. What do you think Caleb Williams does? And what do you think Caleb Williams should do? Because a lot of people, I know there was, I think a tweet, I think it was a fake account tweet, like a parody account said that he knows he would make more money in college than if he just decided to not want to go to the, whoever is the first overall pick. I believe right now it's the Bears. So if he just say he didn't want to go to the Bears, he could just stay in USC, make more money in NIL, and that's probably a true statement. Eh, I don't know. That's a, that's a that's a large for for amount. one year, not the entirety but, of the rookie contract. Like signing no bonus way. money, you're getting signing yeah, bonus money year one money. Yeah. Like it, it's not even going to come close. We're not we're not there yet. Look, this it, is this is a tough this is a tough conversation for a lot of people to have, and and I get it, right? I, I think I think more would be made by the general public than there would be in NFL circles. And this is a hunch. I'd have to ask around and ask some people how they feel about it. And I could probably get some answers and and they would be off the record and I could try to put together some level of, of intel on, on how this would work. But I think if he were to say, I'm not going to play the remainder of the season, the public would freak out more than NFL circles would. That's my hunch, right? If I talked to some NFL people that were in player personnel and I said, does it bother you? that Caleb Williams is going to to sit out, they probably would say it's not as big of a deal as people making it out to be, right? That's my gut if I went and tried to source that information and try to present it here on the show, that that's the, the information that I would get on background or off the record or whatever the case may be. That's my guess. But that being said, 
the question would be asked by the decision makers of why you chose to to sit out. And and I think that would that would there would be a conversation to be had there. I also don't think he's this generational prospect the way some people have talked about him that he can afford to sit out. Mm-hmm. I think every rep is valuable for Caleb Williams right now. I think every single rep he can take is important for his growth and maturity to the next level. Because if you ask me right now, listen, I, I've I've had Drake May QB1 since the summertime. I, I stand by that. I, I'm, there's nothing at this moment that, that has me waver. But if you ask me who the more pro-ready quarterback is right now, it's Drake May over Caleb Williams, and I don't think it's particularly close. Um, and so because of that, I think every rep is important for Caleb Williams. Now, the ceilings... Yeah, you could probably convince me that Caleb Williams' ceiling is a little bit different than Drake May's ceiling because Caleb Williams does the stuff that you can't teach and it's off-platform and he could do all that circus stuff that you see Patrick Mahomes do. And yeah, like, does Drake May have some of that? Yes, but does he have it to the level that Caleb Williams does? No. So for me, like, Drake May's QB1, I think he's more pro-ready. I think the ceilings are close enough if you if you don't assume that Caleb Williams is going to become a one-of-one player that can do things that nobody else can do, which I think is a hard thing to completely buy into. Um, I don't think he should set out. I think he should continue to play um, because I think it's important for his development. Yeah, I think there might be some NFL decision makers that think he's, you know, undisputed, unanimous QB1. Sure. There's probably some out there. So, like, there, for it's them, one it's one probably... and one A. Like, for yeah. me, like, I have yeah. I have Caleb Williams as QB2, but, like, that doesn't mean I wouldn't. That doesn't mean if I had, like, the number two pick and I needed a quarterback and Drake May got taken, I'd be like, you know what? I don't want to take Caleb Williams. No, I take Caleb Williams. I'd run the card into the podium. But for me, if I was picking first overall, and if I was the Bears, and I wanted to reset at the quarterback position, and I know Bears fans would probably hate this, give me the guy out of North Carolina. I know the last guy they drafted out of North Carolina didn't work very well, Mitchell Trubisky, but let's give it another shot. I think Drake May's a better prospect. That would actually be hilarious. But yeah, I think if he was the unanimous QB1, untouchable, like everybody felt that way, then yeah, he could sit out and probably be fine. But I agree with you. He has to play. He's got to continue to show that he can be QB1 and be first overall selected. And he still might be first overall selected, mm-hmm. whether he plays probably or Probably will be. But probably exactly. Be. But yeah, I agree with you. He's got some some weird issues and tendencies that I feel like are coachable. But I feel like you you got to go with a, a more consistent person like Drake May if you're just looking for a quarterback. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're looking for a playmaker, Caleb Williams is definitely your guy. And obviously, you know, he, he's going to be a super athlete for you. But I don't know. Some things really, really bother me with him. And I think he does need to to play the rest of the season regardless. I mean, maybe skip the bowl game, but like, that's it. Just right, play the rest of the regular that's- season and then prepare. Because you could play really well knowing that maybe there is nothing on the line except – your your draft status now so maybe it's pressure lifted maybe it's it's pressure added for him but yeah i agree i think he needs to uh stick it out and play um one last time with your prediction you said jets were winning by the score 24 10 24 10 new york new york jets get a victory over the new york giants all right and i'm gonna go 23 to 17 we appreciate everybody tuning in got to close up shop a little early here but next week we're hoping to have all three of us back so that'll be fun round table plenty of draft talk coming but until the until next week let's get a let's get a dub let's get a nice dub sit here at four and three feel really good having more more w's than wins in the call or more wins than losses in the column and uh and really feel good about this next stretch of three games appreciate everybody tuning in we'll talk to you next week let's go jets all right